Hello, and welcome to Simple Pursuit, the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our prayer that you will grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, and that you will be blessed and challenged as you listen in. Grab your Bible, because here is today's teaching. We're spending a little time on church membership. Uh, Partnership is what we call it here, Um, but it's very important. I want to encourage you. Uh, to make it uh, each Sunday. Now, next Sunday is going to be a fantastic Sunday with impact, so you won't hear too much about uh, get in the game next Sunday, but you will hear about it the following Sundays um, after that. But here we call it, um, and it is necessary every now and then to, to think about what it is to be a member or a partner of a local church. Here's what it means for us at Coastal Oaks Church. We use the term partnership in the gospel Um, That is the language of Paul in Philippians chapter 1, where he says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. He's writing to the church. They are partners with him in the gospel ministry, he says, from the first day until now. So partnership or church membership, because I realize some of you come from another church background that may use the term membership. So when we say partnership, we're saying membership. It is synonymous because in the same New Testament, same apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians about the body of the church being made up of many members. And so membership is not a foreign word, but we have chosen to use that word partnership instead of membership because membership kind of means like you walk into Sam's Club or you walk into Costco if you're uh, crazy enough to drive to New Braunfels, which I think is the closest one, uh, and you get in and you get the privilege of shopping there because you're a card-carrying member. Rather than that, we want to see the church as what we really are, which is that we are called out by God to live and move and have our being inside of Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior, whereby we love God in return. We worship him. We praise him. We love one another. We serve him. We serve one another. And therefore, now we go out and reach the world with the gospel. And so with those things in mind, we'll, we'll spend the rest of our time this morning in Isaiah chapter 61. And there, I think, is a great picture for what and who we are as Coastal Oaks Church and how Christ has come to make his proclamation and to give his promise and to see the product of that promise and his work uh, for his glory. So let me read from Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 through 3. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn. To grant to those who mourn in Zion. To give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes. The oil of gladness instead of mourning. The garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. That they may be called oaks of righteousness. The planting of the Lord. That he may be glorified. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word this morning. And uh, as we come to it, and I often pray, uh, even as I prayed this morning in my study, um, Father, what we do not know, teach us. What we are not yet, make us in your image, in Christ's likeness. Um, Father, in uh, what we do not have, but with a, that we need to further your gospel ministry here, Lord, we pray that you would provide for us. And we do this in the name of Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, the head of the church. Amen. So first, let's go back and look at verse 1, and and I just want to show you his purpose and his proclamation. Christ has done everything um, he can 
um, to, uh, to put you on the team, all right? And so at some point, it, is, it does come down to your personal response, but we're going to go back to this very beginning, and it's not Jesus talking here in Isaiah 61, but he quotes this in Luke chapter 4, and so that's what I see when I read this out of Isaiah. This is the Messiah, right? This is where he is. This is who he is, uh, and this is what he has come to do. So if you would think for a moment, if you were to turn to Luke chapter 4, you would read this story. It's on a Sabbath, and Jesus has gone to the synagogue, which Luke says, as was his custom. So I'm glad you're here today because it was the custom of Jesus to go to the synagogue on, on Sabbath, uh, which would have been a Saturday, uh, but you're here on a Sunday because we celebrate this. Uh, we celebrate and worship on Sunday. So you're here. Um, you probably take Sunday as a day of rest, I hope, but it was his custom to go. And so I want it uh, this year to be your custom to, uh, to come and worship with us and worship with the church. Because uh, if it was good for him, it's, it's good for us too, right? That's just a side note. That one was free. But he stood up in the synagogue in Isaiah chapter 61, and he read, as captured in Luke, he read from Isaiah 61. He read the first two verses. And as he read that, he sat down. After he read it, he sat down. And the people in the synagogue, Luke says, fixed their eyes on him, Because after he read it, he said, today, this scripture is fulfilled. No one did that. No one stood up. Like, if they stood up and read from the scroll, from the scroll they kept reading, and they wouldn't have just sat down. Or, and they certainly didn't say, today, this scripture is fulfilled. <laughs> what in the world? The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring the good news to the poor. What Jesus was doing was announcing that the Messiah had come. He was saying, I am he, I am the one. I think all of Isaiah, I love this book of Isaiah, much of Isaiah, if not all of it, will point you to Jesus, because he is the fulfillment of what we read in Isaiah 61. And that opening passage powerfully shows us and describes for us the anointing of the Messiah. It shows us his mission, the proclamation that he would make as in his ministry, the promises that he claimed, and then we'll see the product of all of his work, which is the church. So in verse 1, the scriptures tell us, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. In the Old Testament, men were anointed with oil for very specific and key offices in Israel's structure. You had three offices, kings, priests, and prophets. And now we read of Jesus in Luke chapter 4 saying that the, Lord, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. The Lord, the I am, has anointed me. Friends, only God can do that. In the Old Testament, the priests, kings, and prophets, they were anointed with oil symbolically, but only God is the one who anoints with the Holy Spirit like that. And so what Jesus is proclaiming to the people in the synagogue is that he was sent by the Father, anointed with the Spirit. He is Jesus, the Messiah, and he makes this bold proclamation to bring good news to the poor, to, send up, uh, to, to bind up the brokenhearted, and to proclaim liberty to the captives, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, when Jesus quoted that, and he fulfills it in the Gospel of Luke, he stood and spoke it, but he stopped.
before the end of verse 2. If you go into to read that, why is that important? Because the end of verse 2 says... Uh, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. Well, God has not brought that yet. It was, it's not going to come until Jesus returns. And so when he's in the synagogue, he stops right there. He stops where he, when he says to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Friends, his favor is unmerited. What Jesus is pointing us to is the good news of the grace of God. That there is now an opportunity to repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. His primary purpose and his proclamation was to bring good news, the good news of God's grace, the good news of God's mercy. It, it was good news. And if you look at verses one through three, it seems that it's good news of restoration. It's good news of revival. It's good news of repentance. It's good news of renewal. It's good news of salvation. It's good news of grace, God's unmerited favor when he says it is the year of the Lord's favor. That good news is a part of the promise he makes. So let's look at his promises. When we look at his promises, here's what he says he's going to do. He says he's going to bind up the brokenhearted. Well, who are the brokenhearted? Have you ever had a broken heart? Yeah, yeah. I think all of us should be able to say that we've had a broken heart, but I mean, live life long enough and you're going to experience a broken heart expectations are not met, and so our heart is broken. It might be an illness that takes over, and so our heart is broken. But the big brokenness, the, the big issue that comes in for all of us is the issue of sin. Sin will break your heart every single time. Friends, the people who are whole don't need a doctor, but Jesus came to heal the brokenhearted, those who are sinners. The world is against us, the world will take us, the flesh will take us, our adversary will tempt us and lead us astray, and the result of following any of those three, or all three of them, will result in defeat and failure every time, which means you're going to end up brokenhearted. But Isaiah 53 says that the suffering servant who is Jesus, that, that we would be healed by his wounds. That means that he would come and bind up the brokenhearted. In fact, not even would he just bind up the brokenhearted. Ezekiel tells us that in knowing Christ and trusting him, that when we receive Christ, we get a new heart. He makes that happen in us. It's the, the mystery of the gospel. It's a beautiful thing. He also says he's going to pro proclaim liberty to the captive, open up the prison to those who are bound or to give freedom. Now, who are, who are those that are captive and what are they captive to or what are they bound to? Well, in the context of Isaiah 61, he's speaking of the Jews who are in the Babylonian captivity in exile. They've been there for some time. And God is orchestrating and working things. They were going to be there for a time of 70 years, but God is beginning to orchestrate and work things through his prophets, and the people are going to be able to go back to Jerusalem. That's where Ezra and Nehemiah come into play in the scripture. And they rebuild the temple, they rebuild the wall, all of those things. So right here, it's looking forward for the people who are hearing it. But in Jesus' day, he says, right now, this is fulfilled. So it's not necessarily always thinking of Jews leaving Babylon in exile, going back to Jerusalem. It's really about Jesus coming. That's where we find the, the heart and the meat of Isaiah 61. And he says, not only are you going to be uh, freed through the captivity of sin, 
not the Babylonian, but the captivity of sin, not only are you going to be freed from the prison uh, that, that, that where you are bound, the, the prison of sin, not only are you going to stop mourning, you're going to have comfort, right? He's our comforter. But now he's going to take the ashes of grief and give you a beautiful headdress, the oil of gladness instead of grief or mourning. It's, it's this big picture of what God is doing through his son, Jesus. The year of, uh, of the Lord's favor. Let me share with you out of 2 Corinthians chapter 6, um, verse 2. What is this year of the Lord's favor to proclaim this? He says this. In a favorable time, I listened to you. And in a day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now, Paul wrote, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. It was ushering in a time and that we're still in, where the grace of God is for those who will trust in Christ. It's there that your life can be changed, that your sin can be forgiven, that you can have a brand new start. Those are the promises of God, that he takes that broken heart from sin. He takes that you that are captive to sin, those who are in the prison chains of, uh, and bars of sin, those who are mourning because of your sin, those who are in ashes of grieving. You may look like you're all dolled up on the inside, on the outside, but on the inside, you are grieving and you've covered yourself in mourning. Jesus is coming and it's promised to change all of that. And to exchange all of that ugliness and give you something beautiful, which is grace. To give you garments of praise instead of the faint spirit. And so the Messiah, Jesus, in Luke 4, had gone and was proclaiming this good news to those who would listen. But notice the situation of those who are listening back in Isaiah chapter 61. Listen to their condition again. They're brokenhearted. They're captive, they're prisoners, they're in mourning, they're in ashes. I mean, it doesn't sound like a delightful group of people to be with. I don't think you'd want them over for fellowship at your house. Their cities are in ruins, just like Jerusalem was. Everything around them is falling apart. They were devastated for generations, the people of God were. They were disgraced by the nations. And even when Jesus is now there in Luke chapter 4 reading this, the Jews, they're not in control. Rome is in control. But this is his proclamation. It was his mission. It was his purpose. And if all he had to do was proclaim it, it would be one huge statement. But it is exactly what the gospel of Jesus is. This is exactly what the gospel does. And so it's not about the people of Israel going back to Jerusalem and redoing everything of the exile because he didn't come to restore us to a physical location. He didn't come to restore our bank accounts or our holdings or our, or, our health or, or anything. I mean, the four walls is not what it's about. He came, he came because we needed a new heart and we were captive to sin. And the only thing that will change is him coming into our life as we trust him and he will change our heart just as he promised because he takes these promises of restoration and renewal and revival and binding up the brokenhearted liberty to the captives. He takes these promises to an infinitely higher level than just walking back across the desert to Jerusalem. 
In John 8, 34, Jesus says this, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. He knew we were captive to our sin. He knew that we were behind the prison bars in our sin, and there is no way on our own that we can ever set, get set free. But he said this in verse 32. He says, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That's not about telling the truth, by the way. That is about knowing Jesus. If you know Jesus, you will be set free from the chains and the captivity of your sin. 1 John 3, 5 says, you know that he appeared in order to what? Take away sins. And in him there is no sin. Verse three, uh, 1 John 3, verse 8. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. He has come to take us away and set us free from the captivity of our sin and the depravity that we live in. And all of these things he's accomplished in his coming and the miracles that he worked. The miracle of the resurrection being the most prominent and most important. Now, it is Christ who came, anointed by the Spirit. The Lord God Almighty sent him. His Father has anointed him. The Spirit of God was upon him in this moment. He lived his life perfect, sinless, went to the cross. He was buried for three days, and he came back. On the third day, he rose to life. God raised him from the dead. On the third day, he came back. He appeared to over 500 witnesses. And then sometime later, Pentecost happens. The Holy Spirit comes upon the apostles or disciples and apostles. And then we see the product of his work. We see the product of his work in verse 3. All of those who are captive, all of those who are brokenhearted, all of those who are in prison, bound, He's proclaimed the year of the Lord's favor, God's grace, the day of vengeance will come in the future to grant those who mourn in Zion to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. That is the product, the oaks of righteousness. His product is the transformation of people. That's what he does. And that is a radical transformation that takes place in the poor, the brokenhearted, the mourning, the ash-covered captives, bound in chains, the chains of their sin, is that Jesus came to save you and Jesus came to set you free. He came to remove those ashes and the disgrace of our sin. He came to take that away because by his grace, he has crowned his people with beauty. By his mercy, he has anointed us with the oil of joy and gladness. He has clothed us with robes of his perfect righteousness. That is a dynamic transformation that takes place that was promised in Isaiah 61, fulfilled in Jesus the Messiah, and that we should be called oaks of righteousness. It is that last phrase, I believe it was two years now that my very first, I think it was my first, no, excuse me, my second year um, where we had a pastor appreciation day and uh, our interim kids ministry director, Daylene, had had the kids make uh, an oak tree and their little thumbprints were all the green leaves. It's hanging in my office and, and that, that phrase, oaks of righteousness, uh, she put on that little thing and from that day, that, this has not left my mind, my heart. Um, 
uh, and, and it's, that's why it's hanging on my wall. It's that phrase that we should be called oaks of righteousness. And to me, it had captured my heart for this church. The planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. The symbolism of being an oak that Isaiah used here, or God used here through Isaiah, it communicates that we, those who have trusted in Christ and received this life change, that they would be strong, we would be strong and well-rooted, deeply rooted in Christ. And that these glorious people will, will be, as he transforms us, the planting of the Lord. And so that he is glorified. This is why we exist as a church. We exist to glorify God. So just think for a moment, if you will, what is just north of us here in Rockport, known as the big tree. The big tree. It has withstood, some folks estimate, maybe 40 to 50 storms. Some as intense like Harvey. I mean, if you think about pre-historical times where we weren't keeping weather records, okay? This ain't that long ago. There could have been a, str- a storm stronger than Harvey hit the Texas coast. We, we wouldn't know because we weren't here and nobody was taking record. But that tree has withstood. Its circumference is 35 feet. Last time it was measured, 35 feet, one and three quarter inches. That's all the way around, okay? In diameter, straight through from one side to the other, 11 feet, two and one quarter inches. At the canopy, 89 feet wide, 44 feet high. That's a big tree. I know there's bigger trees than that. I mean, there's certainly taller trees than that. There's some out in California. I guess you could drive your car through if you want to take that chance. That's a big tree for South Texas, right? It's huge. Have you seen it? If you haven't seen it, some of our winter Texan friends, if you've not made it over there, go see the big tree. But here's what I'm getting at. Church, we are the big tree. We are supposed to be the big tree. We are Coastal Oaks Church, the big tree. And it's, kind of, it's reflected in our new logo. All right? when, I, when you see that, I want you to think, big tree. We are called to be oaks of righteousness. And we are only oaks of righteousness if we are in Christ. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, Paul said, As you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. And he says, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thankful, thanksgiving. Friends, we are established in Christ. We are supposed to be walking in him, rooted or deeply rooted, and we are only built up in him. Firmly established in the faith, that is the gospel, with tons and tons and tons of thanksgiving and worship and glory for the Lord. Paul prayed this for the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 3. He said uh, uh, that Christ, so I pray for you so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, taking in the moisture from the soil, the nutrients that you need, and the grounding of Christ being rooted there so that you may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, length, height, and depth. So we look to the Son of God and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God, that we'd have all we need as the big tree, oaks of righteousness, to withstand and to endure. Now, we can't ever leave Christ. We must always be deeply rooted in Christ because he said he is the vine and we are the branches. And if we are ever apart from him, we can do nothing. But if we abide in him, 
we will bear a whole lot of fruit. A whole lot of fruit. Sorry, that's bad English. We will never produce anything without him. We will only produce everything as we remain in him. I want to bring this to a close this morning by just briefly looking into Ephesians chapter 2. You're going to hear about getting in the game, becoming a part of the team, becoming a part of ministry here. You're going to hear about giving to the cause of the church for kingdom purposes. You're going to hear about, I hope, some giftedness, how we are to use and invest our lives for the kingdom of God. But I want you to know how you get into the game today. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13 says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who are far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. To be far off is to be included in that list in Isaiah 61, brokenhearted, captive, bound. Those who are far off and away from Christ, that's where you are. But the beginning of verse 13, Paul said, but now in Christ. There's a change there. And that is the changing of the transformative moment in your life when you come to Christ and you trust Christ and receive Christ, a Savior and Lord of your life. He brings you from being far off, close to the Father's presence. And how did he do that? Paul tells us by the blood of Christ. He is our peace. He is the one who made us. He is the one who has broken down the dividing wall of hostility between God and the sinner, between Jew and Gentile. He has brought us together as a bunch of sinners saved by grace. He's distinguishing us. That distinguishing mark is the grace of God through Jesus Christ. If you go down to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20 and following, we'll see there that we are being made up into this building, into this structure. And the structure, of course, is built only on Christ. And Christ Jesus is the cornerstone. The structure is growing in him. It's built on him. And we are a people and a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. All of this means that the, that, that the church, the oaks of righteousness, Paul, he, he said it, we are the planting of the Lord. We go back to that. It's, it's the Lord's work. So the church is God's plan. This is God's plan. The church, the local body of believers. We have that down. We have who's in and out. Church partnership, church membership. It's not a matter of external attachment. And by that I mean we didn't look at your skin color and said, uh-uh, you can't come in here. We didn't look at your bank account and said, sorry, you don't make enough in your paychecks to be a part of this fellowship. We didn't look at your last name. We didn't ask how you, how, what kind of accent you had, because some of you are laying it on pretty thick. And we, we, don't, we don't look at that, do we? Or we shouldn't. We better not be. What we, what, we, what we understand from the Scripture is that the church partnership or membership comes about because of a spiritual union. It's not something of, of the outside appearance, although I think maybe a good Aloha shirt should be a consideration, it's not about that. If you're not in Christ, you're not in the church. You may be in this room, but you're not in the church. You must belong to Christ. 
to be in Christ. And that's where partnership and membership begins. You're not an oak of righteousness if you're not in Christ. Ephesians 1.13 says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. So you hear what Paul said? You've got to believe. In who? In him. And him is Jesus Christ. It is that promised work of the Messiah and the completed work of the Messiah from Isaiah 61 and following where we see that he has his hands building the church. Lives are transformed. It is the planting of the Lord. And so the urgent issue in your life this morning is to ask yourself this question, am I included in Christ? If you are, then the mission continues. We have a long road ahead of us. We don't just stand as a majestic old relic in some part of God's work. Oak trees produce a ton of fruit. We don't necessarily eat that fruit, but what are they called? Acorns. The deer and the hogs and squirrels love them. Yes, I just called the fruit that we produce nuts. We're all a bunch of nuts. That's right. So you're nuts, okay? We got it. But listen, the glory of this is that stone by stone, Jesus continues to work through the church and that we are actively engaged in kingdom building when we gather corporately for worship, when we spend time in prayer, when we go to life group and spend time in discipleship with one another, when we get out and work evangelism, when we go on mission. God is always at work in that moment. And at the end of Isaiah 61, it all comes back to this. He says this, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. Why? Because this dude, he was mourning, he was brokenhearted, he was in ashes, he was in all of those awful things, but God intervened with his son, Jesus Christ. His life has been changed, his life has been transformed, and all he can do is say, my soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with jewels, This is what God has done for me. For as the earth brings forth its sprouts and and as a garden causes what is sown to sprout up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness to praise to sprout uh, and praise to sprout up before all the nations. Friends, that is happening in and through the church. That's the glory of this. And that's where it ends. It's, It's his glory. It's his glory. It's his planting for his glory. The last Sunday of the month, I'll just let you know, we are going to have Get in the Game Sunday. And uh, that's where you get to wear your Astros jerseys or your Texans jerseys. I'll be wearing something opposite of those. Uh, but uh, we want to encourage you to, to be, a, be here that day, January 28th. And that's the day we're going to ask you to commit to serve in the church. There's going to be a long list. There's a few samples out on the, in the different places in the Welcome Center that you can go take a look at. Um, and we want to encourage you uh, to join up and sign up that day to get in your place of service in Coastal Oaks Church. Now, on January 21st, we're going to have a, mi- a ministry fair where all our ministry teams will be represented, and you'll be able to go and talk. And if you have any questions about certain areas of ministry and where you can serve, we want you to be a part of that and go and ask those all-important questions. But I can tell you right now, we have some great needs. Right? We have a great need in our Coastal Kids Ministry. This week, they're going to start a Wednesday night program, a, a, a ministry time, and we need teachers. We need some teachers on Sunday morning uh, to fulfill this uh, now extended time that they have together. Billy, Pastor Billy always needs help 
on Wednesday nights in declaration and on some on Sunday morning, I'm sure. But we, we have a huge financial uh, calling ahead of us as a church. We had to make some big cuts this year to bring our budget more in line with where giving is. And, and I would, for one, really love to work hard together and, and uh, get, a, get an associate pastor on board. Um, and I, I think that's all of our desire, uh, many of us. And, and so we have that before us, and we can only do that as we work together and we take this serious calling that Christ has put before us today, that we should be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord. So friends, let's be the church that the Lord has planted, okay? Let's, let's take that on. Let's be that church. And we will be that church, not for our glory, uh, but for His glory alone. Thank you for listening today. For more information regarding Coastal Oaks Church, like service times, or what to expect upon your visit, go to our website at coastaloakschurch.org. May God bless you in the journey and the simple pursuit of